Tonight's Bible reading comes from Luke chapter 15. Uh, We'll do verses 1 and 2 and then jump to verse 11. So Luke chapter 15 from verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thank you, Hannah. So you would have heard in Ethan's testimony that he referenced Luke 15. Uh, That story particularly resonated with him and as he was coming to faith. And so we we are sidestepping from Judges and we're going to look at this passage tonight. If you're a Christian, this is a you know, probably part of your journey in some way, shape, or form. And if you're not, and you're like exploring faith, or you're like, you don't know much about the Bible, you probably have heard of the prodigal son. Uh, it's something that is kind of part of our vernacular. And it's, it's a wonderful story in so many ways because it captures so much of the central Christian message. And we very much see ourselves in either one of the characters and sometimes chop and change between the two of them. So we're going to trek through it together. But what we like to do before we come to God's word is pray. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll go through it together. Our good and our gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it teaches us wonderful things about you and about us and what it means to be one of your children. We pray tonight by the Spirit you'll be at work, 
making us into likeness of Jesus or bringing us to Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to suggest that we, and I think you'll agree with me, that we all have a longing for home. We all, whether we've come from a really good home or a broken home or something indifferent, there's something inside us that, that longs for home. Now, home not in the sense of a place, but rather that kind of relationships and the feeling. Like, you know, when you go on a a holiday or something like that, I had some friends that went over to Europe and lived there for a year or two. This is pre-COVID, obviously. And they kind of get there, and and after a while, no matter how good it is, you're like, I just want to go home. And it's not necessarily the place that's important, but it is the relationships. It's, It's the place where they feel loved, valued, it's safe, it is secure, you feel fulfilled and you feel loved. This kind of longing for home is like within our DNA as a Christian, as a person, sorry. Yet the pursuit of home, that pursuit of that state of being, that identity that we have, is different for all of us. We pursue that thing differently. Now, for some of us, we want to break away from the the trend, want to break away from the mold, want to be more, more progressive, explore the world, find our sense of ourselves out there in a kind of... Uh, pursuit of self-discovery, right? If you've watched Frozen 2, anyone watch Frozen 2? There's a few of you. That movie is all about that, finding yourself out in the world, but it's really deep within. Now, for others of us, it's we want to go and find ourselves or find this sense of home and identity uh, through the normal social norms. We don't want to rock the boat. We want to meet our own expectation. We want to meet the expectations of others. So we, we will be very good. We don't want people to be upset with us. We won't act out. We'll live in the kind of tried and true way, in the pursuit of kind of moral conformity. And when the Bible, that reading that we had read tonight, we explore a story that Jesus told, a story which uh, there's a father and he has two sons. And these two sons are very much exploring their sense of value. They're exploring where they find their joy, Uh, They're exploring their sense of belonging. Yet they go about it in two very different ways. Now, we might be familiar with it being called the prodigal son, but as the Bible reading said, and as Jesus said, there's there's a father who has two sons. There's a younger brother and there's an older brother. The prodigal son, the son who is recklessly extravagant, spends everything. That's what prodigal means. Recklessly extravagant, spends everything. And then you've got the elder brother, who's very religious, does all the right things at the right times, never breaks the rules. Now what's interesting is Jesus is talking to a group of people, but there's kind of two groups within the one. He's talking at the beginning when you, uh, from what Hannah read, uh, there's tax collectors and sinners that are gathering around Jesus. Now these people are, are not Christians, they're not part of God's uh, family in a sense. But they are intrigued by Jesus. They've run away. They've, they don't care about God and his people anymore. And the religious people certainly don't like them at all. But Jesus seems to take an interest in them. Jesus eats with them. Jesus wants to get to know them. And they're intrigued by him. They're curious. And maybe that's like some of you tonight. Curious. Investigating. Don't know much about who Jesus is. Maybe you come along as Ethan's mate. Maybe you're continuing to come here and explore who Jesus is. Maybe like these, uh, this first group of people, the tax collectors. 
But there's another group of people, the Pharisees. Bit of a strange title, but the Pharisees are like the really elite religious leaders in ancient Israel. Very upright, very moral, do all the right things at the right times, and society held them highly. They were loved, they were liked amongst the people. They are the religious insiders. So you've got these two groups, and Jesus tells a story. He tells a story, and he starts with the younger son. If you have a look, verse 12, the younger son says to the father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Now, that is a shocking claim. That is a shocking claim, because what he's saying is, right? if you were to get your inheritance from your parents, as you, if they have any money at the end, they haven't spent it all, you will get but that happens when they die, right? What this son is saying is, Dad, I wish you were dead so I can have your money now. I don't want to be identified as part of this family anymore. I want my money. Dad, you mean nothing to me. I wish you were dead. The younger son, he wants the things of the father, but doesn't want the father. He wants the things of the father, but doesn't want the father. So he rejects him. And he goes about in this search of the good life somewhere else, outside the bounds of his family. The son is publicly rejecting the father, and it brings huge pain to the father. It's a shocking thing to do. But there's something even more shocking that happens after that. What the father does, what does the father do? He just simply divides up the property. Now, we would expect, this is uh, 2,000 years ago, the Middle East, we would expect in that day the father of the patriarch of the house, at least a verbal barrage, probably physical, get out of here. Sure, you want to leave? Go, and you can take nothing with you. Right? This father simply divides up the property, heartbroken, heartbroken, but allows the son to leave. So we get the youngest son cashed up. Right? Where's he going to go? Where's he going to, what's he going to do? He sets off to a distant country. He's going as far away as possible from God, as far as he can possibly get. He wants to live the high life, wild living, it says. Uh, he wants to have all the experiences, have all the fun, try out all the new things, all the things that he couldn't do at home, the things that he thought would bring him fulfillment. The son, the younger one, is on a search for self-discovery. Like all people, he longs for that sense of belonging and that sense of self, but he wants to be free. To be free. To do it how he wants to. He doesn't want to do it in the confines of his home. He thinks to himself, I can be liberated from my family and find it somewhere else in the world, out there without my father. Now, he didn't choose to become destitute. He didn't choose for it to um, go bad for him. He didn't think it would. He didn't think it would lead to destruction. But he chose it because he thought it would bring him satisfaction. Outside the Father. Now, does that paint a little bit of a picture of your life? Or maybe did, that was your life. Running from God. Outside of Him. Going on a journey of self-discovery. Thinking that joy, satisfaction, belonging, identity, value, whatever word you want to put there for yourself, can be found outside. Where did you run? Where are you running what would be your distant country? For Ethan, he said, well, I just thought God was useless, right? He said that I thought I could find it without him. And I'll go look at the Bible to prove that God is wrong, right? 
He thought he could experience the good life outside. That's what Ethan was saying. But he also said it let him down. And that's the story of the younger son. That pursuit let him down too. It was good for a moment. It was fleeting. It passed away. A famine came, no food, and he began to be in need. And it says it was amongst the pigs. Basically, he's in the lowest of the low that he could possibly get. You think of the lowest possible place you could go. That's where the sun is. Destitute, nowhere to go, rock bottom, the most degrading place he could be. He feels, he knows within himself he is lost. He's lost and he knows it. He feels far, he feels fallen. The joy didn't last. And he longs for home. He longs for home. The loving father was actually loving. The boundary lines fell for him in pleasant places, but he threw it away. It says there in verse 17 that at that point he kind of comes to his senses and he decides to go back to his father. But as he, as he gets his senses about him and he's, he's going to go back, he thinks, I've got to prepare a speech because there's no way this father's going to receive him back, he thinks. Not a chance. Uh, that wouldn't be logical in any way, shape or form. He's repentant, he's sorry, but he doesn't expect to be forgiven. So we get his plan in verse 18. And he says, Father, well, this is what he will say. Oh, he's kind of reciting this in his head. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. What he's saying there is, I am sorry, I'm repentant. I know I can't be your son again. Let me earn it back. Let me become one of your hired servants. Let me earn it. Let me prove to you that I'm okay, that I've changed. Maybe then you will potentially have me back, but at least I'll be secure and safe in some way. I think many of us can think of God that way. We know we're far off. We know we've been fallen. We know we've rejected him, and we think, man, I've got to fix my life up. I've got to be a good person before God will have me back. I've got to sort out some things in my life so that God will be happy with him. Maybe he'll accept me when I've done X, Y, and Z. That's exactly what the younger son felt. He thought that he had to fix himself up. I've got to be a hired servant so my father will have me back. But what does the father do? Well, the son is still a long way off. It's as though the father has been on his balcony watching, waiting, hoping, please, may my son come home. I know he ruined me, rejected me, but please, desiring that he'll come home, like perched on a balcony. And then the rebellious son, the son who wanted him dead, the son who just wanted his money and not him. The father sees him from a long way off and he's filled with compassion and he runs. He runs. Like a Middle Eastern man of that day would have to pick up his tunic and run. And that's, you know, you're burying your legs. That's horrendous. But he runs after uh, the son. He embraces him uh, in, his, in his arms. And you imagine the son, he's filthy here. He stinks like a pig. Right? For a Jewish person, that's horrible. The father wraps his arms around him, put the best robe on him, wrap it, uh, put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet. Basically, take off his dirty clothes and give him my clothes. Give him my best. Put it on him. And that's what happens. And he says, kill the fattened calf. That just means let's have the biggest, 
bestest, amazingest party ever. It's the most extravagant thing that a father could do at that point in time. The son thinks he's got to earn it. The father says, I'll have none of that. You can't earn it. I'm just going to lavish you with my grace. Come back, be my son. Like you imagine for yourself for a moment, just in a physical human sense. Imagine you have great parents and you've wronged them something severe. Like seriously wronged them. Rejected them in some way. You've stolen from them. You've ruined their reputation. In some way, your relationship with your parents is absolutely shot. You decide, you left, uh, and you decide that, okay, you'll come back. But you're so scared of what they're going to say. You are so fearful. Will they have me back? Will they not? Like, you can imagine that fear. And then imagine when you come back. They chuck their arms around you and tears weep down their eyes. And they say, daughter, I love you. I love you. Or son, I love you. Welcome home. You're forgiven. And you know what? You said to us ages ago that you want to go to Europe. So we got your passport ready. It's been ready and we're going to take you. I want to spend time with you. And we want to give you something. So we bought you a car. We're going to give you the car. Can you, you imagine how you feel? That sounds extravagant for us. Who cares about the holiday? Who cares about the car? You would feel so loved. You would feel so accepted. Unconditional love. And this is the love of the Father. This is the love of God. See, the Father in this story is unconditionally compassionate. And for us, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, how far you've fallen, when you come to God, He will embrace you, He will love you, He will bring you back as a child. God is in the business of bringing broken people back to Him. You want to know what that looks like in real life? In our kind of our day today? For tonight, look at Ethan. What a wonderful example of someone who was far gone, rejected God actively, came back, felt the love and embrace of God, unconditional. God is in the business of bringing broken people back to him. But that is also not the end of the story. Jesus doesn't leave it there. We meet another character, the older son. Now, it actually seems that Jesus has this character in his mind the whole time. He's telling this wonderful story about the younger son, but he has this elder son in his mind. Now, the older brother has been out in the field. right? He's been laboring, working hard, doing things for the father. It's the father's business, so he's working for the father. And he hears the celebration, he hears the dancing, wonders what's going on, and he hears that they're having a party because the younger son has come home. And he too should join in the celebration. It's his brother that is found, and the father is delighted. But it's now this son's turn to disgrace the father. He will now disgrace him. It says in verse 28 that this son became angry and refused to go in. He refuses kind of like a stubborn two-year-old, stamping their feet. No, staying outside, angry, selfish rage. See, the younger son rejects the father by running away. The elder son rejects the father by not going in, by refusing. But like the father went to the younger son, Here, the father now goes to the older son, out of the party, to reason and to plead with him. But at this point, we hear the real reason why this older brother is so upset, why he won't come in. He says, look, doesn't even address him as father, just look, 
All these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. It basically meant I've been good. I've been perfect. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, right, not, not my brother, just this son of yours, when he comes back, who squandered your wealth on prostitutes and wild living, you kill the fattened calf for him. The older brother is saying, I deserve that. I earned it. And what have I got? I've got nothing. He's saying to his dad, look, mate, I've done all this for you. I've been good. You owe me, dad. You owe me. See, it was not being bad that kept the older son away. It was actually being good. It was his goodness. It was thinking that he was superior, thinking that the father owed him. He didn't think he was lost. And because of it, he thought that he'd earned it. But just like the younger son was seeking fulfillment and that joy, that satisfaction uh, away from the father, the older son is doing the same thing, seeking joy, seeking satisfaction by trying to earn it. The older brother is just as lost as the younger brother. This is a story of two lost sons. The elder brother wants the things of the father, but not the father himself. He's just gone about it differently. Now, we all think of the sins of the younger son and go, of course, that's, that's sin. That's disobeying God, you know, running away, breaking the rules, while living prostitutes. You know, this is bad. Right? We get that. But the older brother, because he is lost, it shows us that sin is not just about breaking the rules. See, he can be very, very good and yet very, very far from God. Sin, the thing that kind of actually separates us from God, is when you put anything as your own Lord and Savior. You put yourself, you put something else as your Lord and your Savior. There's a, uh, a very intelligent man named Tim Keller. He wrote a book called Prodigal God uh, about this parable. I, I really encourage you to read the book. Anyway, he has this quote. He says, There's two ways to be your own Savior and Lord. One is by breaking all the moral laws and setting your own course. And one is by keeping all the moral laws and being very, very good. Both ways leave us lost. They leave us separate from God. But can, can I take you back to the picture of the father? What does the father do to this son? He pleads with him. You can imagine us lovingly calling him home. Come back. Because even though this elder son has rejected him, the father still goes out to him. Come, celebrate with us. Everything I have is yours. All I have is yours. You've always been in here. And you're going to get it no matter how hard or whatever you work for me because it's not about if you've earned it or not. You are loved. And the story ends. Now there's one untold character in this story and we don't read about. It's the one telling the story. Jesus. See, Jesus is the true elder brother. He's what the elder brother would have done because Jesus is the one who goes after the lost. Jesus is the one who goes after the prodigals. Jesus is the one who goes after the people who are really, really religious but far from God. Jesus is the one who goes after those who think they can do it on their own. But more than just going after them, Jesus is the one who actually makes it possible for us to come back to God. See, in this story, there's lots of elements of cost. 
They're indirect, but there's definitely strong elements of cost that the father paid throughout the story. Social cost and obviously huge financial cost. To bring the sons back, it was very free for them, but it was very costly for the father. In the same way for us, because of our sin and our rebellion against God, there too was a price that needed to be paid. The wages of sin is death. Justice, it needed to be served. Evil needed to be conquered. And we deserved that cost. We earned that. That's what we earned. But Jesus took our place. That is the absolute beauty of the Christian message. That you can be an absolute horrible person, but Jesus has paid for your sin. You come back, you repent, you have faith in him, you turn to him, you're in his family. Jesus paid the cross when he cost, when he died on that cross, and he rose again in victory. That is the most greatest, amazing event. The lavish love of the Father. Now, when the story of the younger son, he leaves home, he longs for home, and he returns home to a loving father. But the elder son, he rejects the father, and the father pleads with him, but we're not told what happens. We're left on the edge, it's like a cliffhanger. Jesus doesn't finish the story. Terrible storytelling. Maybe it's amazing, right? It's as though Jesus is intentionally leaving the decision open, inviting us. Will we come home? Will we come home? Whether or not we're the younger or the older brother, because we all have that longing for home. For some of us, we're realizing that maybe we are at the actual bottom. Maybe we're heading there. Maybe we've been there for a long time. Maybe you've tried lots of things and it's kind of left you wanting. Can I encourage you? Run to the Father. Fall into His grace. He's a loving Father that will accept you. You don't need to earn it. He will embrace you. Or perhaps you're more like the older son. You're resonating more with that elder son. Slaving, trying, laboring to earn the rights, being good. Or maybe you just like want to be good in a social, moral sense. Just do the right things and that will be enough outside of God. Not interested in relationship with God and the things that he can give. Will you come home to the Father? For all of us, we get to come to God because he loves us unconditionally. And he's pleading with his creation, with the people that he made, with the people that he sent Jesus to die for. Come back to me. He desires a relationship with you. So much so that God will become the prodigal God. See, God was the one who left no expense, who was extravagant in pursuing you, in pursuing us. He, sent, he spent everything by sending his son to die on the cross so we could have forgiveness and we can have life. Come to him. If you are a Christian and you, can, and you have been walking with him, continue to come to the Lord Jesus. Enjoy the celebration. Enjoy being in his, his presence. And if you don't know him, can I encourage you, continue to investigate. Continue to be that curious investigator that just wants to know who, who Jesus is, more of who he is, what it means to follow him. I trust, well, you can trust me and you can trust Ethan, but more than that, you can trust his word. It is the good, it is the best, it is the only way. And it brings life, and it brings life to the full, for now and into eternity. I'm going to pray. Our loving God, we say that a lot, but you are exceptionally loving. 
way more than we can appreciate or imagine. And yet we do get to experience your love and we know it. Father, I pray for all those that, that don't know you yet, that you will continue to pursue them and that you know, they know that you love them. And Father, for those of us who are in your family, may we just continue to experience your love for all of our days. May you get all the glory. We thank you for the God that you are. In Jesus' name.